Ever snore so loud it registered as an earthquake or you woke up with a throat as dry as the Sahara Desert and a headache that could stop a locomotive? Well, I've had all of these because I have sleep apnea. Hi, I'm Scott Mitchell. Yep, I wear a machine plugged into a wall attached to a hose every night. Sound Sleep Medical changed all of this for me, and they can do that for you. They specialize in providing oral appliance therapy for individuals suffering from sleep disorders. In many cases, oral appliances have proven to be as effective as CPAP machines in treating sleep apnea. The lack of sleep is a serious health risk and has been linked to heart disease, stroke, diabetes, and even depression. The oral appliance I got from Sound Sleep Medical has freed me from a hose. I can go anywhere, and I've never slept better. Call Sound Sleep Medical today. Seriously, for a limited time, the first 25 people that call get a free consultation worth 200 bucks. Call 801-783-5451. It's 801-783-5451. Hello, I'm Jim Bennett. I'm Abby Bennett. And this is Dinner Table Politics. And Abby, you are at a time in your life when you are applying for medical school. Is that correct? Yes. You're not excited I'm to talk about that? Straight up not having a good time. Well, I, I apologize for that. I think you will have a good time because I think you're going to get into more medical schools than you think you're going to get into. That. You don't understand anything. I don't understand anything. What I do understand... The pre-med Reddit boards would tear you apart. I'm sure they would. What I do understand about medical school is that it is very, very expensive, correct? Yes. Why are you bringing up all these horrible things right now? Well, because I want to talk about debt. Oh, Yes. And medical school... What uh, a good, good segue. Isn't that a good segue? Using my future suffering for your podcast gains. Yes, yes. Well, they're not necessarily my... There are podcast gains. Okay. Are you excited? Okay, sir. All right. Sorry about that. But yes, all this is segue to the fact that the federal debt, or the federal deficit is exploding. Um, We are now looking at spending, federal spending has gone to $3 trillion for fiscal 2019. And the deficit in the month of May was $42 billion. And we Just are, May? Just May. And we are looking at a, an annual deficit of 2019 okay, of you, over a trillion dollars. Um, you've explained this before, the difference between debt and deficit. Correct. Can you go over that again? Well, sure. For the pe- not for me. I, I obviously know what it is still. Just, oh, you do? Just for other people. Oh, okay. A deficit is a short-term measurement, and debt is a long-term measurement. In other words, when we have a deficit, it means our expenditures are more than the amount of money that we're bringing in in the short term. The debt is just everything that we owe that has piled up since the beginning of the country's history. And I can remember in 1992 that the deficit and the debt were the primary issue with regard to the presidential election. Wasn't it like the last time something was balanced or something? I don't don't know. Something about the deficit was like Bill Clinton. Right. What did he do again? Bill Clinton, during the Clinton administration, we had our last balanced budget. And uh, Democrats like... What does that mean? It means that the amount of money that we brought in from tax revenue was equal to or greater than the amount of money we spent. We had a balanced budget. 
We didn't. Okay. We, we weren't uh, bouncing checks. Essentially, we weren't borrowing money to pay our bills. Okay, I have another. I have another kind of dumb question before we start talking about the rest. Okay. I, I I just have such a hard time understanding how we like who are we in debt to? You know, like who are the creditors of the government? That's a good question. That just makes no sense to me. Like, like I don't know because it's not like there's like a a giant world bank that we like oh you know well there is a world bank but that's not who we necessarily owe money to um we are in debt to a large degree to anybody who buys government bonds the government issues bonds and sells bonds and essentially says we will pay you interest on the money that you give us to buy these bonds well, and we will use that trillions money. of dollars in debt why would anyone buy a bond well that becomes a problem like, going it's forward like getting like it's like getting an IOU from like a hobo or something. Well, that's the problem. That's the problem with accumulating debt is eventually you reach a point where you have so much debt that nobody trusts you and no one's willing to lend you money anymore. And the more money you have, the more money you borrow, ironically, the more it costs you to borrow money because you have to pay higher and higher rates of interest to attract people to borrow money. That isn't a problem right now. But it's going to be a problem going forward. Mathematically, it is impossible to avoid the kind of debt crisis that we've seen in Greece, for instance. This was Greece's problem. They had borrowed so much money that no one would lend them money anymore. And so their economy all collapsed until all these other countries came in and infused Greece's government with cash. But they're still... Yeah, they're they're still sort of floundering. And you're seeing the problem right now playing out in Venezuela. Venezuela's debt is so overwhelming that the entire country has essentially collapsed. The economy has collapsed. They have other issues as well, though. They do. There are a lot of problems there. That's just, it's hard to wrap my mind around that happening to the U.S. just because it's so much bigger than both of those places. Right. Right. That is true. And that also makes the problem far more troubling because everything is going to be fine right up until the moment when it isn't. This is not going to be a gradual decline. Everything is going to be functioning just as it is. And then suddenly we are going to have so much debt that it's going to make it impossible for us to continue to borrow in any significant way. The interest on the debt is going to make it impossible for us to spend money on anything else but the interest on the debt. And the whole thing will come crashing down very, very quickly. Now, when does that happen? I'm kind of getting ahead of myself because there are a whole bunch of other things I wanted to talk about Okay, here. talk about those first then. Well, but... So we know we're going to all die in a fiery blaze. Right. Let's I'm, talk about who lights the matches. That's right. Let's talk about who lights the matches. So in 1992, Ross Perot ran as a third-party candidate basically on the single issue of deficit reduction. And I can remember the first 1992 presidential debate... Perot was included. I think it's the last time a third-party candidate has been included in the official presidential debates. And everybody, one of the first questions was, well, how can you be president because you don't have any governmental experience? (laughs) Right. Perot, we now have a president of the United States that has far less, had far less experience than Perot did. Well, not necessarily. I guess they were pretty much the same. Doesn't matter. Anyway, and his answer, which got a huge laugh from the crowd, was, yeah, you're right. I don't have any experience in running up a $4 trillion debt. What are we at now? Do you know? We are somewhere north of $20 trillion. Wow. 
Now, the debt is the entire aggregation of all money borrowed and not repaid since the beginning of the country. In 1992, we were at four trillion. In 2019, we are at over 20 trillion. Uh And you know, so that that amount is exploding, and yet at the same time, that's misleading because. And I want to use your medical school thing as an example to some degree. Uh, We have insurance. We have insurance? No, 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 I'm talking about medical school. Oh, I was thinking medical insurance. do you know what the average debt is for students who come out of medical school? Um, It it varies widely, but around like a quarter million usually. Okay. Now, is that terrifying to you? Well, yeah, it sucks, but but that's the reality. It's the reality, but it's manageable for most of these people because they're going to be in a profession that will generate enough income for well, them then, to be able well, to service that, that gets, debt. Well, then that gets you into a whole other issue of people aren't becoming just like primary care doctors anymore because you don't make enough to right. be able to pay back your debt. So everyone's like specializing, becoming like orthopedic surgeons, you know, like no one wants to just be like a family practice doctor anymore because you don't make enough money to pay off your loans. Well, that's why NYU has created a tuition-free medical school. Uh, I don't think it's all, is it all tuition-free now or is it just that one class? I don't know. Well, anyway, but, but, but that's the point is that debt, just saying a big number. So I tell you, okay, in in 1992, we had four trillion. 2019, we have 20 trillion. Yeah. So that's terrifying. Yeah. Well, it is and it isn't, because. Well, it is. Well, it is, but debt is only matters relative to your assets. For instance, before I got married, I had very very little debt, and now I am married, and we bought a house, and we have hundreds of thousands of dollars of debt, and I look at that and go, oh gosh, my debt has skyrocketed. But at the same time, uh, before I was married, I didn't really have any kind of a high-paying job. And now we have a two-income family. And we bought a house that is well within our means to be able to pay for. And so the debt is only, is only terrifying when it is out of control relative to your income. And okay. so, so with regard to the government, the economy, when the economy continues to grow, the government brings in additional revenue. And so the fact that the deficit is higher or the debt is higher isn't a problem unless the debt is so much higher as a percentage of the gross domestic product of the country. Does that make any sense? Um, Your eyes just glaze over. Yeah, I don't know. I I tuned out for a little bit. Okay. Are you familiar with what the gross domestic product of the country is? Um, GDP. Yes, that's what GDP stands uh, for, gross domestic product. Well, we'll talk about the gross domestic product. We're <laughs> oh, a little long wow. here. Good, good cliffhanger. All right, we'll, we'll start over and talk a little bit about that when we get back from our break. All right, let's, let's dumb this down a little bit. Oh, okay, thanks. <laughs> well, uh, we're going to assume that you fully understand this, but all of those listening may not fully understand this. How's that? Yeah. So, all you troglodytes out there. All you troglodytes. So the gross domestic product is essentially the aggregation of every bit of economic activity in the United States. The amount okay, of... Okay, yeah, because gross means before like taxes. Before taxes. Yeah. Right. 
So the gross domestic product, every amount, all money that is made in the United States, all wealth that is generated in the United States, all of that is lumped together into the gross domestic product. And our gross domestic product um, is somewhere around the, the same size as our entire debt. Okay. Now, if you if you look at when our debt was biggest in relationship to our gross domestic product it is not right now when was it it was during world war ii during world war ii we borrowed truckloads of money from who again well who? we well we I remember they did sell war bonds that's that exactly right that's exactly right we borrowed it from the but people how, in the united but, states but, but that was like during the great depression like well well world war ii was after the great depression or it actually got us no, out of the it great got depression. us out of the great depression right um we borrow money. We borrow money from foreign governments. We borrow money from anybody that's willing to buy bonds, and foreign governments are willing to buy bonds because American currency is the most stable currency in the world, and the American government is the most stable institution financially in the world. When the world is not doing good, then that's exactly <laughs> right. Financial institutions that were collapsing during the 2008 financial meltdown uh, turned to the United States government. Because that was the only economic engine large enough to be able to prevent the entire meltdown of the worldwide economy. So we don't have a problem getting people to borrow from us because we are the most stable government and the most stable economy in the world. It's like a new. It's like a bunch of newborns being taken care of by a three-year-old. Well, yeah. It's my dad used to say, "In the land of the blind, the one-eyed man is king," and that unless unless he's blind out of that one eye. Ooh. Or are they are they all blind because they don't have eyeballs? Oh, I don't know. I don't know. You're you're, you're messing up the whole analogy. Do you know why Stevie Wonder is blind? No. Uh, it used to be a really old treat. Like he was born prematurely, and it used to be a treatment. Um, like back in the olden days, not that long ago, but they would like give like newborns like high amounts of oxygen, like through masks and stuff, and the pressure would like cause their retinas to detach. Would like blow out their retinas. So his retinas were blown out. So he was born with sight. Yeah, but he's born prematurely. But then, like this treatment that they give, they would give newborns would make them blind. Wow. So there you go. Well, that's depressing. He did great for himself, though. He I, did. I would say. Yeah, Stevie Wonder has done quite well for himself. That is true. In the land of the blind, the one-eyed man is king, but Stevie Wonder rules them all. That's correct. Or Ray Charles. He was cool, too. He was awesome. I loved Ray Charles. Did you know Ray Charles used to give money to charities for the deaf? Oh. Because he said, he said I'm, he was born blind, and he says, I don't know what it's like to have sight, but I wouldn't be able to function without my hearing, and so I'm really sensitive to deaf people. And I thought, that's really compassionate. That's really interesting that he'd be interested in that. So, anyway, not important. It is important. It is important. Ray Charles was awesome. Um yeah, we borrow money from foreign governments. China has bought an awful lot of our bonds. And we are a very attractive investment for people to borrow money from because we're stable and there's no, relatively no risk that we're not going to repay our debt. That's the reason why people stop borrowing from governments is because eventually they say, you're not going to be able to pay us. You're yeah. not going to be able to pay back our debts. And, and that's so when far, all the bad stuff happens. And that's when all the bad stuff happens. So, yeah, during World War II, we'd run up our debt to about 140% of our gross domestic product. And nobody was too worried about that because they recognized... You're worried about other stuff. 
We were worried Namely about Namely Hitler. Hitler that was a big, and Hirohito. That was a big one. We were very worried about the Axis powers taking over the world and sending us into a night of fascist darkness that would last a thousand years. So that's very dramatic. But we knew that after World War II, that economic growth would essentially take care of the problem. Now, the reason why these debts and deficits are so troubling is that they are taking place at a time of tremendous economic growth. The for- is, okay, so... so- Sorry, I keep interrupting. No, so this is good. What, what are we spending money on, in particular? That's so that's so crazy. That is a very good question too, because every time a politician stands up and says we need to just cut waste and fraud and abuse out of the system and just cut all the wasteful spending and then we'll balance our budget. And then, and then someone like presses a button like in um, Austin Powers and they fall through the ground. Right. And then they get burned. And they get I'm very badly burned. Yes, I love that. That's Will Ferrell who gets very badly burned in the first Austin Powers movie. Did you know that? Oh, okay, cool. Shout out Will Ferrell. Shout out Will Ferrell. Um, There are two different kinds of government spending. One is discretionary spending and one is mandatory spending. Mandatory spending is money that Congress does not make a decision about spending. It has to be spent. Interest on the debt is mandatory spending. Congress does not decide whether or not they're going to spend money on paying the interest on the debt. They have to. It's mandatory. Yeah. Well, it's actually a fairly small part of mandatory spending. Most of the mandatory spending is wrapped up in what are known as entitlement programs. Like Social Security? Social Security is the largest chunk of mandatory spending. Medicare, Medicaid. Those three programs account for the majority of mandatory spending. And mandatory spending is roughly two-thirds of the federal budget. Wow. So two-thirds of the federal budget is already spent before Congress is ever in session. And Congress has no choice but to spend that money. Wait, I just thought of something then. Okay. So is the reason that that's so high right now is because like we have like a huge aging population? Correct. I'm so smart. You are so smart. All the baby boomers that are getting that are Social ret- Security? Yes. So you look at Social Security and you look at Medicare and Medicaid, and they are unsustainable models. We do not, there is not enough money in the world to pay future benefits that have been promised. And the only way to bring the budget into balance is to deal with mandatory spending programs. There's no mathematical way to do it otherwise. There's no amount of taxes that you can raise. See, when people start talking about taxes, well, let, let's let's come back uh, from our break, and I will discuss what it will take to balance the budget. Are you ready? Yeah. All right. So what it will take to balance the budget, we have to send a copy of Dave Ramsey's books to oh, everybody gosh. in Congress. Gosh, your mother just loves Dave Ramsey. People like worship him. He is like a cult. He is. He is a little bit like a cult. And there are some good principles there, but I, I don't want to get into. Dave There's Ramsey. good principles in all cults. In all cults, cults uh, have. Wonderful... I don't know. There's... Jonestown really got it wrong. That's... I would argue. Well, I just don't like the word cult because it doesn't have an objective definition. It actually does have an objective definition that nobody uses anymore. Okay, okay. but oh. but we'll talk about that. Later. We'll talk about that later. All right. So, um, in order to balance the budget. Uh, you have to kill everyone over the age of 60. Well, 
that actually was how we balanced the budget in the early days of Social Security. We killed everybody? No, everybody. I feel like we would have talked about that more. (laughs) Right. Uh, When Social Security was first passed, life expectancy, we didn't kill anybody, but people died of their own volition. Life expectancy was 62 years old. Oh, wow. And you didn't receive Social Security until you were 65. Uh In addition, there were 20 workers for every one retiree. And now, yeah. Now there are three workers for every one retiree. Yeah. And that number is going down. Because we are not having as many children as we had before. Uh-huh. People are living longer than they did before. And people are getting Social Security benefits earlier. You can now get Social Security benefits at 62 rather than 65. Wow. Now, granted, your benefit amounts go down. So that's not really so much of a problem because we pay those people who get early benefits less. But the reality is the financial model was built for a time when life expectancy was shorter and there were far more children and far more people to pay retirees. Now, Medicare is a much, much bigger problem. Social Security, so Ronald Reagan, who was considered to be this terrible tax-cutting you know, government slashing guy yeah, by all those... I know you love him. You I love just, Ronald just, Reagan. Just tell us what good thing he did. Well, Ronald Reagan jacked up Social Security taxes significantly. Because he was old. Uh, maybe. And wanted them. But that actually is... I'm just kidding. I love old people, by the way. I'm sounding ageist. We're sounding ageist. We, 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 we've advocated killing people in this podcast. That was, that was facetious. I don't we we really... don't want to kill anybody. We absolutely don't want to kill anybody. Did you hear, this is a complete tangent, but did you hear about this cop who got up in a church and advocated going and killing LGBTQ people? <sighs> and said that this is something the government ought to be doing, and it's just the most dreadful. And then they killed him. Uh, Happy ending. Happy ending. Just kidding. Anyway, let's, that's a whole other subject. So um, Ronald Reagan jacked up. It, it used to be that uh, he essentially doubled Social Security taxes. Why? Because the Social Security Trust Fund was going bankrupt. Okay. Now, that's another interesting thing uh, because you ask who we borrow money from. We're borrowing money from the Social Security Trust Fund. The amount of money so that has been set aside for Social Security, we go in there, we don't leave that money in a pot. Al Gore in the 2000 election got mocked on Saturday Night Live because he kept using the word lockbox. I'm going to put it in a lockbox. His idea was that all the Social Security money, we wouldn't borrow from it to pay off the debt. We would just lock it up in a lockbox. Wait, that's not a bad idea, though. Well, it's never happened. And it's not going to happen. And it doesn't, well, we made fun of him, but... I don't know. Well, it seems like kind of practical. Well, the thing is just not using that money isn't necessarily the best way to preserve that money because that money gets eaten up by inflation. And when you borrow the money, then it's getting a rate of return on the money from the government. It's, yes, it is kind of convoluted. Oh, but I'm so glad I majored in science. This stuff sucks. <laughs> well, The point being that Social Security was running out of money. Ronald Reagan jacked up the taxes. And now Social Security was given about 50 more years, but it's running out of money again. And and by the time, if you look at your, do you get those statements? Are Are you too young to get the statements from Social Security that tell you how much money you're going to get? I don't think I've ever, I've gotten like uh, statements about like retirement stocks. 
Is that different? That's different, right? Well, no, that's from like your employer, yeah, your 401k. Yeah, that's the only thing I've ever No, Social about. Security. And uh, I always am like, oh, throw that away. I don't, I don't understand what that is. Well. I have $70 somewhere. Okay. Yeah. You'll get it when you're 65. Cool. So I can have enough money for like Ten minutes, two meals. Right. Yeah. Well, Social Security sends out statements saying these are the, this is the amount of benefit you can expect when you retire. And at the top of every single one of those statements, it says that unless something is done, you are currently on track to only be able to get 77% of these promised benefits. Uh And that number keeps shrinking with each statement because mathematically it is impossible for the Social Security Trust Fund to pay out all the promised benefits going forward. The guy who types that on all the top of the papers is like, is anybody reading this? I feel like I'm talking to a wall. Well, this is the thing that's so frustrating. George Will, who's a conservative columnist who hates Donald Trump, so I really like George Will at the moment. George Will has said this is a slow motion train wreck that everybody can see from a distance. We can all see that the total fiscal collapse of the country is moving slowly toward us, and we are doing absolutely nothing to stop it. Uh, It's really anxiety-inducing. It's it's extraordinarily anxiety-inducing because there is nobody who can bail out the United States when the United States reaches Venezuela levels of debt. There isn't a country that's big enough to be able to fix it, and we're going to go through this entire... This nightmare unless, and see the thing is, if we take steps now, if we do things now, we can very, we can avoid this with minimal pain. That's like everything in life though, and nobody wants to do that. Yeah, that's, that's accurate. That's accurate. I, I used to work for Al Simpson, who used to get on the floor of the Senate and talk about greedy geezers. He would use that term. And I was in charge of answering phones because I was just an intern. And all these angry elderly people would call up and scream at us. Except for if they weren't calling from Wyoming, we were told to just put them on hold and let them stay there. That's horrible. they call, I'm so mad at Senator Simpson. Oh, where are you calling from? I'm calling from Florida. And can you please hold? Uh, sure. And then <laughs> you'd sit there and you'd watch their lights blink on the phone until That's they horrible. finally disappeared. Wait, so is like the solution just going to be that like, I don't know, our population is going to drop and... Well, population dropping is not the solution. We need a larger population. A larger population would fix this problem, not a smaller one. Well, then maybe it will be fixed by, like, I don't know, Well, the immigration and stuff. Immigration is a great way to fix it. Yes, it is. I mean, there, there are a number of solutions. So, so the simplest way is you have to either, well, we'll talk about the solutions when we get back from our final break here. Okay, in the most basic terms, there are two ways to fix it. One, cut spending. Two, raise taxes. Now, there's a third way that you talked about, and that's have more people paying into taxes. Uh-huh. And immigration does help with that. Or, like, the, I know, like, in some European countries, they pay people to have kids. They do. And they're doing that for this very reason, because their social safety net is unsustainable and can't be funded. Another way is to make having kids suck less so people want to have them. Uh, yeah, I guess. I don't know. I don't think having kids sucks. It's very difficult, though. Well, like, like in, in, 
I don't know. In some Scandinavian countries, they get, like, years of parental leave. Like, the United States has some of the worst, like, maternity leave policies in the world. And there are a lot of people talking about that right now. There are a lot of people who are trying to change that. That kind of stuff would make a difference, honestly, as a person who, like, wants to work full-time and also maybe, like, have kids, you know? Like, it's just not even, like, really feasible to a lot of people. Well, that's a good point. I mean, having a larger population and a larger population base to pay into these programs is one way to fix it. Uh, the, the, the most... Cloning? We could clone We people. could clone people. The idea of raising taxes is the one that most people focus on. But the problem is you have the same problem when you raise taxes far too high, uh, you get diminishing returns on the higher rates. When people... Uh, are going to have their income eaten up by higher taxes. They find ways to avoid paying taxes. Ah, humans. I mean, that's not... If, I mean, people say, well, that's tax evasion. It's like, no, it's not tax evasion. It's tax, it's tax avoidance. Sneakiness. Well, it's exactly what every human being does when they are confronted with, okay, one of the reasons why cigarette sales have gone down is we've raised taxes so high. And we them. put gross pictures of, like, cancerous jaws and stuff on the boxes. That's correct. That's correct. So we should do that, like on all the social security forms. We can put like post-apocalyptic wasteland pictures and stuff on it. Well, and people fighting each other for scraps of bones and stuff. Yeah, that's a really good solution. I appreciate. Okay, so you. my solutions are that cloning and maybe programming kids to be less annoying. All right, those sound like three really unworkable yeah. solutions. To maybe me. making babies like like. Self-changing diapers or something. Well, that's that's an interesting. They have like too. self-cleaning litter boxes. I think the only solution that is workable is the one that my father offered when he was in the Senate, and the idea is you have to slow the growth of these programs in ways that are targeted at the means of the people who receive them. In other words, rich people should get less social security Do than they poor not? people. No. No, right now there's no means what the, testing. Does anybody what? And what? And and what? you don't even record, have to record scratch. Record scratch. You don't even have to um, cut the programs. You have to slow how fast they grow, and the way you do that and be able to keep the people on the bottom end from being thrown to the wolves is that you slow the growth rate well, yeah, that's much more thing. for the richest people is like, and much it's less for the Social security like, is a good thing. Like Medicare and Medicaid is like a good thing. Like people need that. But I don't, I don't know how you like, because you can't just like people, like people would die if that got taken away. Well, I can remember in the 2010 campaign that Senator Mike Lee, before he was Senator, said that we need to tell people that you are paying into the system, but you will get nothing. Because the Social Security Trust Fund is unconstitutional and we're going to just throw it all out the window and we're done. And I don't think there's anybody who thinks that's a good idea other than Mike Lee and other than extremists who don't understand that the social contract is such that we have determined that we are not going to let old people we die in the streets. Care, yeah, we have to take care of our poor and our needy. We and have our... to take care of our poor, take care of the elderly. That We, we have made that decision as a nation that this is something that's important for us to do. And if we're going to do that, we have to do it in a way How is there no that is sustainable. Testing? I'm still bugging over that. That's nuts. Well, it's, I mean, the, 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 
Well, there are all kinds of other things. People talk about that. raising the retirement age, which I think we need to, to do, do as well. Yeah, that, people are working like way past 60. Yeah, I think... Like, that, 60-year-olds are freaking spring chickens still. Right. Well, you you can do all of these things and you can do them incrementally. And you can raise the retirement age slowly. Maybe no one will even notice. Well, the thing is, they do notice. And all of the groups that fight to preserve Social Security... Uh, run ads of Republicans throwing old people off cliffs every time even the most modest, simple reforms are proposed. And so it makes it impossible for anybody to do anything that will make the problem better. And so we just slowly drive toward the cliff and everything is fine on that road until you reach the cliff. Do they realize that all old people are going to fall off the cliff? Uh, They don't seem to realize that, no. And this is the most frustrating thing in American politics to me because Donald Trump ran on the promise of not touching any of these programs. And the Republicans have essentially thrown, in their, thrown up their hands. The, the only time anybody tried to do something significant on this, well, it's happened twice in my lifetime. Ronald Reagan in 1986 tried to reform Social Security and the backlash was so severe that the Republicans lost the Senate. Well, I can also see like why people would be afraid of that because uh, older people are such a huge turnout on election day. That is correct. And since all of us you are... You don't want to piss off your biggest voting base. That's correct. And all of us will eventually become old people. And so yeah, this is a problem will. we all have to face. Uh, I'm getting there faster than you are. So no, we're going at the same pace. The same pace, but I'm You're closer to it. You're along. I'm further along. Well, we don't necessarily have all the answers here, but these are questions that people aren't even asking. And so the fact that we're asking the questions, I think, makes us uh, doing something productive to to fix the problem. Anyway, we are almost out of time, just as the country is almost out of time. How's that? I already have a lot of stressors in my life. This is not what I needed. Well, we'll let you relax between now and next week. And if you're listening to this podcast on the radio, please be sure... To subscribe via iTunes or the KSL Podcast Center. And until next week, I'm Jim Bennett. I'm Abby Bennett. And we'll see you next time on Dinner Table Politics. Go call your grandma and tell you tell her you love her.